When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, are you ready for some money rehab? Wall Street has been completely upended by an unlikely player, GameStop. And should I have a 401k? You don't do it? No, I never. Girl! You think the whole world revolves around you and your money? Well, it doesn't. Charge for wasting our time. I will take a check. Like a full school You recognize her from anchoring on CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. The only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. The cold lapin. I'm so excited today to be joined by the wonderful and talented Emma Hernan. You probably know her from the smash hit series on Netflix, Selling Sunset, the show that follows a team of L.A.-based realtors as they sell bazillion-dollar homes to L.A.'s rich and famous. Of course, I had to have Emma on to talk about all of her real estate tips, but in this conversation, we cover so much more. We talk about Emma's entrepreneurial journey, how to deal with bullies, the advantages of being underestimated, and... Emma gives out her boss bitch crown. Well, Emma, I am so excited to say welcome to Money Rehab. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, there is so much to you as an entrepreneur, so much I want to talk about. Uh, You are not only a business owner, you're an angel investor, you're a realtor. I can't wait to get into all of those things. I want to start with your company. You're the founder and CEO of a plant-based food company. Thank you. I am vegan. Uh, Emily & Co. So first, how did you start the company and why did you start the company? Okay, so first, I will make sure to get you a package and a cooler sent out immediately. I did not know that you were plant-based, so Thank that's you. amazing. Um, and, you know, for me, I've been in the food industry my entire life. My grandfather started a company. It was a seafood company, so he was making crab cakes out of his kitchen. And when he passed away, my mom and her sister took it over. And I remember growing up and doing little food demos. So you know how when you go to the supermarket and people are giving you samples? Well, I was that 11-year-old little girl with my mom giving out samples. So to say it's in my blood, it's in my blood. And, you know, coming out to Los Angeles and and just seeing, you know, health is so important and and plant-based. I just feel like there wasn't a really... I wanted to take over the space. And that's what I'm continuing to try and do. And basically creating different appetizers. I partnered with Beyond Meat, which has been the best partnership that I could have possibly imagined because brand awareness. So for me, business is always, I've always had a business hat on first and brand awareness with Beyond Meat, people know immediately what's in. So one of my items is an empanada. If you were going to buy just any old empanada that was like plant-based, you would go to grab it, but you wouldn't necessarily know what was in it. Is it, you know, and I knew that I eventually wanted to start my own company and I wanted to create kind of a company that was giving back and creating something, a, a niche, you know, it's, and so beyond me, I, I feel like I heard about impossible and beyond me before anyone really knew exactly what they were. So I knew that I wanted to do something with them. 
And then when I started my own company, figuring out which brand to partner with obviously was a no brainer when it came to Beyond Meat, the brand awareness and all that. So I created my my first items were the empanadas and every single sample that I sent out to buyers for the different supermarkets instantly took them right away. They couldn't believe that they are vegan and plant-based. And that's kind of how I started my company. And I started it right around COVID. And when I say I put my heart and soul into it, like food is my heart and soul. My family is my heart and soul. I bought a 50,000 square foot building back in Boston, state-of-the-art manufacturing facility. So, I mean, dream big, that's for sure. Absolutely. That's what we're all about here on Money Rehab. Uh, You created and you also funded the company yourself. Why did you choose that route instead of bringing on investors? We live in sort of this shark tank world where it's so much part of the zeitgeist to bring on outside investors. Yeah, exactly. For me, you know, it was just really important, especially, you know, as a female entrepreneur, I really wanted to prove that I could get the company to where it is now and continuing to grow on its own. When you're growing a company, it's just, it's, oh, I do think it's important to own hundred percent of the company because you have hundred percent creative control. You have control of everything and your heart is in it because hopefully you're doing something that you're passionate about. And for me, it was food. So I knew that I wanted to start a food company, but owning hundred percent, you get to really, and it's that much more rewarding when at the end of the day, you did it all on your own and you got it to a point where it's now, I mean, I go into the supermarkets and I still get butterflies seeing, you know, my product and in stores. So I think there's just something about that and having creative control, having financial control, and you're also a little bit smarter. It's not someone else's money that you're spending. It's your own money that you're spending. And I do think it helps you really run numbers. And I think that that's important too. It's such a good point. And it's also diluting your own ownership. It's like when you take on capital, you're, you know, I see these entrepreneurs buy a sweet ping pong table or something else or, you know, stuff that they might not have bought to your point if it was their own money coming out of their own bank account. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And even for me growing up, you know, I was always a big saver. And I think that that's like the one huge lesson that I would love for like young entrepreneurs, young, you know, girls in high school, girls in middle school, male, female, whatever to save. I mean, I saved, I loved working. So for me, I started babysitting. I was working at ice cream shops, waitressing. I loved to work. I was always out, out and about working everywhere, but I saved every single penny. I didn't go out and buy a new Chanel bag or something like that. It was really important for me to save because I knew that I wanted to build a future for myself and I wanted to do it on my own. So saving was honestly one of the best things that I did because I was able to fund my company. I was able to help you know, my mom out when she needed it because she was a stay-at-home mom that was left this company in order to keep it running. They needed to buy equipment. They needed to keep their employees on. So at 16, 17 years old, you know, I was lending my family money to get the company to where it is today. So, and saving was a huge part of that. Yeah, you can't buy machinery and whatnot with Chanel purses. No, you cannot. Unfortunately. <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> Hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? 
If so, I have the antidote. It's LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, and that adds up to a serious squad of awesome candidates. LinkedIn has over a billion professionals on the platform, and these candidates are super qualified. So much so that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. I work with LinkedIn Jobs for all of my dream team needs, so they're hooking up money rehabbers at linkedin.com slash MNN. Go there and you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash MNN, as in Money News Network, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now for some more money rehab. Okay, let's skip over to your career. I can't believe you have a whole other yeah. career in real estate. Uh, not only are you a realtor, but you're also on the fan favorite Selling Sunset, uh, the Netflix series, of course, about Lux Real Estate in Los Angeles. So I'd love to get your insight as an expert on some of the main questions we get from listeners a lot. If someone is looking to buy a house for the first time and this is a whole new world for them, what advice would you give them on what to look for? especially in this competitive market. I know it is competitive, but rates are going up. So now it's, it's, it's balancing out of it because I mean, three, four months ago, you were seeing houses go, I mean, 34 offers at some homes. It was wild. And I mean, they're going over ask and, and all of these crazy things. But I think, you know, something to remember a little bit of like advice would be never buy the best house in the worst neighborhood. Even if it's a smaller house in a really good neighborhood, appreciation wise, it's going to be worth your while. And I think we sometimes forget that. So that would be one of my little tidbits of advice for for new time buyers. And also to just kind of, you know, getting familiar with the different areas and and where you're going to be the school system, if you want to have kids, things that you don't think about when you're just trying to get, you know, buy a house for the first time. But those are things that are really, really important. Yeah. Or if it's close to public transportation or you need to take the train, if you're saving money by living in Timbuktu, but then you have to drive and, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, If someone is looking to sell their house, uh, you have such great design aesthetic. What are some of the staging tips uh, that make houses more attractive to buyers these days? Well, staging is so important. And I think that sometimes you have the sellers that don't want to stage their house and they're like, oh no, I think what I have is fine. But a lot of buyers that are walking into homes, if you know, they're in different industries, they could be in tech, they could be in whatever industry. When they're walking into a home, 
they might not have the imagination of what it could be. So A, if it's an empty house, that's you definitely do not want to sell a property with an empty house. But even if it's their furniture, it might not be this, you know, the best possible opportunity to walk into. So I staging is I couldn't be a bigger advocate for stage your house. We have great staging companies that we work with out here. But the little things like attention to detail that they do make a difference when you're going through a property. I was actually just looking at a property yesterday that I might put an offer in and it was staged impeccably. And it made such a big difference because I could picture how I wanted to be living in the house. I could picture cooking in that dining room table that they had staged. Whereas if it wasn't staged, eh, it could be kind of, you know, older furniture, the house doesn't feel it's a different experience. It's a different vibe. And it's someone else's memories in there. So staging is so, so, so important. <laughs> totally. I've seen houses where I'm like, actually, can I buy it with the things? <laughs> that happens all the time. No, it happens all the time. A lot of times the buyers make can we just buy the staging, which obviously the stagers love too, you know? So that's why they go above and beyond. But uh, that's so funny. But yeah, all of the houses that I put in offers on got they were all staged. And I think it makes a big difference. How much is it when somebody, how much extra is it? It depends on the house. So I mean, for, and it depends on like what level staging, but you know, I just did a big listing up on that was 23 million. And that was about, I mean, it's close to, you know, 80 grand, give or take, depending on the house size to be staged, but it's so worth it. And you get that back. What people don't realize is at the time, they're like, wow, that seems expensive. But you have to think about it as an investment. What you put into it, you're going to get that money back. You're going to get that money back double what you put in. Triple. Is there a way to pay after it sells? Or do you have to pay? No, you have to pay because the house could potentially not sell. So I mean, sometimes they work out deals with, you know, the realtor that you can split it or things along those lines. But you have to pay it up front because sometimes, you know, a house doesn't sell and then people have second thoughts once it's in escrow, you know, seller's remorse, all of those things. Not your houses. I mean, I've seen some open houses in LA and the lines are around the block. I'm like, what are y'all giving away in here? (laughs) This is bananas. It is crazy. The real estate market has definitely been, you know, booming this this past year for sure. With the competitive market the way it is now, how can folks applying for homes sweeten their applications? Would you recommend removing contingencies and things like that? A hundred percent. I mean, if you can, I always suggest it. Um, but you really want to make sure that you can. You don't want to remove the loan contingency. And then you hear from the bank, actually, you know, because then you're going to have to, you know, that that's not a good idea. But if you can remove any of the contingencies, loan contingency, inspection contingency, that's always something I advise, you know, my clients to do. Obviously, all cash usually like people like that, but more than anything, they're they're, they're not going to take an all cash that's less than an offer that's more. Because at the end of the day, it might seem great, but you can get a loan after and things along those lines. But removing contingencies is always something to sweeten the deal a bit. Have you always been pro home ownership or were there times in your life where you were pro renting and save that capital to invest in your side hustle or other businesses? Um, I've definitely always been pro save, but I, I knew right away that like I wanted to start investing in properties and buying. So I was saving at a, at a certain time, but as soon as I you know was able to purchase a home, and as you know, I mean, You know, a lot of people out there think if they have the cash for a down payment that they can go out and get a home. You actually have to have, you know, strong tax returns and things like that 
that I don't think everyone necessarily realizes because people come to me, friends and family, and and they'll say, oh, I have a down payment. I want to look X. And I was like, well, you have to check with your bank because everything needs to line up. So as soon as I was able to and, and get a house that I really wanted and it felt like home, I was, I'm all about buying and investing. And if you don't have to sell real estate, hold it because you're going to rent it out. People are going to pay your mortgage for you. And then you can go out and buy another property. So that's my philosophy um, as a real estate investor, for sure. I admittedly have not seen your show, although I'm probably the only person (laughs) on the planet who hasn't. It is number one show. Uh, How did you view joining that show as something to lift your brand up for your business or to help elevate both real estate investing long term and and Emily and Co. So that was something that it wasn't a no-brainer. It was something that I had to think about because I've always been a really private person. And business has always been my thing. But I wanted to kind of share my philosophies and share, you know, what I've gone out and, and done throughout my career. And that was honestly what made my decision to do it because I went back and forth because you know, putting my personal life out there for the world to see and judge. And they do. Um, I was hesitant and I talked it through with my family. And, and ultimately I really kind of wanted, you know, people out there to see, I didn't come from, you know, I'm not this, a lot of people thought, you know, for years, cause no one understood why I had nice things or, or how I was able to buy these things or travel and things like that. And people would assume, oh, she has, you know, wealthy parents that take care of her or, oh, she has a rich boyfriend. And and that was so opposite of what the real case scenario is. I created my entire life from nothing and, you know, and did it all as a, you know, a female entrepreneur and a go-getter. And that's why I joined the show because I get messages all the time from, you know, young girls that are like, you inspire me to go work at like work and, and one person that I know started a candle company and she was like, I was, you know, she was going through a hard place and she watched the show and it inspired her to go do something that she's passionate about. So for me, that was why I decided to do the show. I'm so glad you brought that up too. I've, I've heard the same thing. Like, I, you know, your family must have given you something. Um, and no, it couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, I grew up in an immigrant family. My father died of an overdose when I was young. Like it couldn't be farther from you had a silver spoon in your mouth. And I, and it, frustrates me when people assume that. There are also a lot of conflicts on shows like that, so it can get kind of icky. How do you navigate that? I I could not, but t- <laughs> tell me how you deal with that. Yeah, so that's never fun. I mean, no one ever wants to feel like, you know, there's conflict or there's someone kind of out to get you. But of course, you know, in life that happens in general and, you know, on a TV show, of course, that's going to happen too. So for me, I take the same philosophy that I do in life and I always try and take the high road. I have throughout my whole life and I've dealt with, you know, situations that weren't fun, even in high school, just being bullied by girls. And, you know, I wasn't even allowed to go in the hallway at the same time being threatened to beat, you know, they were going to beat me up for, you know, no reason. My boyfriend was older. So that was an issue, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, for me, I just always taken the high road. I've never been confrontational. I'm always a problem solver. So like they call me the mom in the group. I'm usually the one taking care of everyone, fixing everyone's problems. So like my biggest piece of advice for conflict is take the high road. And normally if someone's coming after you nonstop, it's an issue with them. It's an internal issue with them and it's not you. 
So remove yourself from the negative energy and focus on the positive. <laughs> Amen. If it's hysterical, it's historical. I think I learned in therapy. Uh, it's on them. And life is long. The world is small. Don't be an asshole. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you I, there is that other woman on the show uh, wrote the how to be a boss bitch book. I don't know if you saw that, but. Somebody wrote one in 2017. Well, you actually actually are a boss bitch. So I think we all know who the real boss bitch is. And I think I'm looking at her. Yes. (laughs) If you, yeah, girl, if you want to steal, you steal from the best. You steal from New York Times bestseller. Exactly. Mic drop. You are such a boss bitch. Uh, You're also so stunning, like truly, truly stunning. And I'm a woman's woman. And I know that there's so much more than how beautiful on the outside you are, like how beautiful your brain is. But I have to ask, do you think the way you look has been perceived or been over your career an asset or a liability? Um, I definitely think it's been something where I've had to prove myself a little bit more. I mean, I've walked into countless meetings where people look at me and they, they, they're looking around, especially like investor meetings, because it is, you know, a male dominated space. Um, and I've walked in and they'll look around and, and they'll ask if I'm in the right place. And I've heard it so many times or, Oh, is your husband coming? Is your boyfriend coming? And it's like, actually I'm the one investing. Yeah, no, exactly. So I've had to prove myself definitely more, but it's almost empowering because I, I, and I'm very polite when it comes to this, but I wait for my turn to talk when, when we're sitting in this meeting and when they, when once it's my turn and I never interrupt, I wait till it comes to me. And then I hit them with all of the, the questions and they are like, wait, she knows. that, And it always, it takes people back. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's definitely been something that I've had to prove myself and it's been a little tougher, but I like a challenge. <laughs> I like to be underestimated. Exactly. I'm a hundred percent underestimated, but it's fun. <laughs> I'd rather... You're like, let me, let me tell you about my EBITDA, sir. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So for me, I love it. I always like, I'll see the faces sometimes and the, like the double looks and like, the, wait, she knows what she, yeah. So for me, it's kind of fun. For today's tip, you can take straight to the bank. I love Emma's tip to never buy the best house in the worst neighborhood. I think the point is so, so on point because a house's appreciation is not only dependent on the work you put into it. Appreciation is also driven in a big way by the neighborhood and whether it's on the up or on the outs. is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Our producers are Morgan Lavoy and Mike Coscarelli. Executive producers are Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. Our mascots are Penny and Mimsy. Huge thanks to OG Money Rehab team Michelle Lands for her development work, Catherine Law for her production and writing magic, and Brandon Dickert for his editing, engineering, and sound design. And as always, thanks to you for finally investing in yourself so that you can get it together and get it all. You spend my money.